Research shows that four in 10 executive directors or business owners plan to exit in the next five years, but half of them have no formal exit strategy. Are you an executive who wants to be proactive and develop future value, succession strategy, and legacy for you and your organization? If so, Maestro Level Leaders was designed with you in mind. This small group, peer-based leadership journey helps leaders explore, map, and implement a new season of growth, value, impact, and significance for themselves, their successors, and the organization as a whole. Our next cohort is forming now. So if this sounds helpful to you or someone you know, please go to maestro-levelleaders.com and complete the form there to initiate a conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Self-awareness and conscious management of emotion is a lifetime work. How are you doing with it yourself? How are you and your team doing with it as you face toward future value, succession, and legacy? Today's conversation focuses on emotional intelligence and is hosted by Maestro Level Leader cohort facilitators Kristen Evenson and Mark L. Vincent. Their guest is Mark Baker, CEO and Chief Psychologist of Migro. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am really looking forward to this conversation today, kind of a special interview on a subject of growing importance, especially for leaders, and that is emotional intelligence. I'll just start by saying, I think you've heard me say throughout some of our episodes, as background, I, in general, am, you know, rate strong in self-awareness and pretty strong in emotional intelligence, and yet there have been key areas in my leadership, whether Um, as an executive, as a board leader, where my emotional intelligence has been not as strong. In fact, I would say I have some blind spots in terms of seeing other people. And one of those areas has been for me, uh, I love innovation. I love strategy. I love working towards uh, outcome. In, In situations like that, I've often found focusing on the goal often blinds me to the needs of the people around me. And I put on my farm girl, head down, plow to the other side of the field and really miss, can really miss the people I'm leading and leading with. So this has been a, a, you know, an area where I've been humbled and have some strengths. And I've also been very humbled repeatedly in terms of my leadership. So I really look forward to our conversation today with Mark Baker. But before I introduce him, I want to introduce the other Mark, Mark Vincent. Welcome today, Mark. So glad to be a part of this conversation and to um, introduce Mark Baker a little bit more broadly to a North American audience. Yeah, me too. Look forward to hearing from him. And meantime, I did a little confessional about emotional intelligence in my own life and my own leadership. Is there anything you would say has been a kind of a growing edge for you, Mark, in this area? <laughs> I was starting to hear the song Kumbaya in my head that we were, you know, we're around the campfire and we're sharing deeply and profoundly after a week of being together. You know, as one grows in their life, there are so many stories you can choose from if you keep growing. And I think the main thing I would have to point to for myself is I'm a very earnest person. 
if we're going to do something, I want to be about it. I want to get it done. And life circumstances for me added to that intensity with my first wife's 16 year cancer battle. Uh, you know, it kind of distills down to, is this important? Cause if it's important, we'll do it. If it's not, I can be doing other things and you get stuff done that way and you can accomplish good that way. So I, I know that a lot of that shines in the light, but what I've learned is that people often receive me as pushing into their space. I'm stepping in to help. I'm not trying to take over, but they experienced me as pushing in and maybe they didn't want help and maybe they didn't want to do it well. They just wanted to get it done. And I hadn't asked them, I just assumed. And so as I got more feedback and became more aware, I can't say I now do that perfectly. Uh, I'm sometimes fighting myself and I actually had to kind of work through a time where I didn't, I didn't feel like myself to, to try and hold back and not push in yet. You've got this, I could help. I could do this. We could do it this way. This would be really good. So I'm not going to say I've arrived at some new nirvana around this, but what I can say is I'm so much more aware. And one of the really big tools that's helped me of late uh, has been this daily droplet, this little video and time to journal a bit and think a little bit and answer some questions that uh, my grow uh, does. And Mark Baker, who's our guest today, is chief psychologist for them and a founder for my grow. And I'm really delighted that he um, can be here with us. And so today, Mark Baker and his wonderful South African accent are going to join us. Welcome, Mark. Hi, hi, Mark and Kristen. Well, I, I do wish I had a South African accent joke lined up, but I think um, <laughs> we can just laugh at the accent a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's lovely to be here, and I so appreciate the two of you actually just speaking to a sense of deficit that you've perceived at the outset, because that's certainly, I think, what I'm bringing to this conversation is a, a journey with all the, the knowledge about this, this domain academically and yet huge deficits in my own life and, and in my leadership that I think have led to the, the kind of passion that you might hear coming through for, for how as leaders we can develop this and, and specifically those who are trying to get into the third turn and kind of leave a, a, a legacy, why it's so important that we actually develop these competencies in this domain. So I just so appreciate uh, yeah, the platform the two of you have, have laid. Well, thank you. And you and I, Mark, have had a couple of good heart to heart, telling our life stories to each other, conversations, deeper acquaintance. And I think one of the things I have uh, just found my heart wanting to embrace you is around, around probably that earnestness again, a desire to bring something that's new and good to the world that really can make a difference over time in a sustaining way. But we're not always on the same side of things. Let's just be clear. I cheer for Ireland rugby and you cheer for South African rugby. And Ireland recently took South Africa down, the world champions. And uh, I just you know, wanted to point that out, uh, but also to offer my condolences. <laughs> well, Mark, I know this wouldn't be the first time that you've backed the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I, I can't really say that with, with full authority, considering we did lose. So there you go. Well done. And I consider you both on the wrong side because American football is clearly clinical. <laughs> yes, those Minnesota Vikings who've followed their Super Bowl <laughs> trophies. That's right. <laughs> okay, we're all eating humble pie now. Well, Mark, let's kind of get down to uh, the subject at hand today. We all know, I think most of us know, that emotional intelligence is really an important frontier for leadership development, especially these days. Um, but, but so before we dig into that, can you just give us 
a definition, a baseline. What does that mean in your world and expertise? Well, maybe a a good place to start is just that I I think there's been a bit of an injustice done to this domain uh, of emotional intelligence uh, because, you know, as a, a kind of an academic construct, it really is this comprehensive rigorously defined and well-established kind of aspect of who we are and the way we interact with the world. And yet I think because of uh, its its popularity, um, it's often been kind of loosely defined. And it, it even comes out as some of the words people say, they'll, you know, even Kristen, you were describing earlier, you know, that, uh, you know, my self-awareness was quite high, but then there was this other part, you know, and you use the word within my emotional intelligence. And it's almost like we run out of words to describe what what is this domain. And so so there really are kind of three parts to a, a definition of it that are helpful. And, and before I give those three parts, I think the most important thing for us to consider is that it, it actually probably is not best defined as one thing, but as a collective set of competencies. So it probably should be defined as emotional intelligences, you know, uh, which which would be a better way of, of conceptualizing it, I think. So so the three things, I, I would define it, by the way, just to get to a definition, as a set of emotional skills that makes people great at managing themselves and interacting with others. And so there's three parts to a definition, and and I'm I'm, I'm taking this from some of the kind of earlier academic writers, if you like, those of that, that are interested in the academic side. You know, I'm, I'm talking Reuven Bard on uh, from the EQI 2.0 uh, model of, of emotional intelligence, who looked at it as a set of emotional and social intelligences. And then, of course, Daniel Goleman, you know, he came up with that emotional competence inventory that anyone would have seen in his, that original kind of popular book on emotional intelligence, or Maya and Salovey, they were some of the uh, original kind of academic proponents of, of emotional intelligence. The, these kind of prolific uh, kind of original writers included three aspects. The one was the, the, the set of emotional skills. And that's quite important because, you know, they, they, they are not skills in the domain of cognitive intelligence. They very much are uh, skills that that uh, start interacting with the emotional centers of the brain or need the emotional centers of the brain to be in some way regulated uh, or involved in, in the interaction with the world. So a set of emotional skills that makes people great at managing themselves. There's like a self component, you know, can I regulate myself? Am I aware of myself? Um, can I make effective decisions? Can I implement effective boundaries? So quite apart from the rest of the world, can can I manage, you know, the person in my own skin? Um, and then there's this kind of interacting with others, this, this social component to it. And that's something that, that, that I think often falls flat uh, in terms of people's generic understanding of emotional intelligence is actually this, this other component. Can I you know, in, in terms of what we're talking about in this in this webinar, you know, do I have empathy for others? Well, that might be, you know, empathy from within myself, you know, the self-management part, but then can I translate that to others? Can I show empathy through emotional expression? Well, some people can't, you know, oftentimes um, people that are uh, very kind of uh, achievement-driven will be very empathetic of people around them. They just won't show empathy because they want to get get the job done. And their growth needs to be in that domain of kind of emotional expression 
not necessarily in terms of kind of an internal uh, empathy. So, so just to summarize, you know, I would say it's a set of emotional skills, number one, that makes people great at managing themselves, number two, and then interacting with others, number three. Yeah, that's a really rich definition. I really appreciate that. And, I, and what's interesting for me in that is empathy is one of my top five strengths. So in places where I have, you know, registered as pretty high EQ and certainly high on empathy, there's still these places where, oh my word, it kind of bites me in the behind that, that I just, you know, for the sake of something else, kind of miss out on understand relating to others in a way that's meaningful. So that definition really helps me. Um, Mark, you trained as a psychologist. How did your interest grow in this area and in this becoming your vocational mission? Well, I think that uh, probably primarily comes from my personal story, which is why I so appreciated the way you and Mark just primed the conversation today. You know, I was really fortunate in um, finding a discipline at an early age that I was really passionate about this domain of psychology. My personality was quite well suited to kind of people development, training, coaching, that kind of thing. I, I tended to find conceptual frameworks very easy to absorb and, and track with and then use. And so I got really lucky at, at an early age to be quite successful, I would say, by kind of, you know, my late 20s um, as a young psychologist. And then I just started noticing that relationally, professionally, I was just constantly kind of undercutting myself, underperforming. Everything looked great on the outside, you know, but inside, I think I was imploding. Uh, to a large degree. And and it, it was quite a, a long period of time. Well, you know, I suppose a long period of time is all relative. Hey, Mark Vincent. But in my life, it was a long period of time of, um, of about 10 years of really just having this external, amazing success uh, in, in my life. And but internally just kind of limping, you know, and, and it, it culminated in some work I was doing with a much older psychologist who sat me down one evening and uh, we, we were having dinner and I just shared this with him. And he said what only kind of a, a, a mentor type you know, person could say to you, because it came with full empathy, Chris, and I must tell you, but he looks at me and he just said, well, Mark, the problem's obvious. The, the problem is that you're a hypocrite. And I'm like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm just bearing my soul about this kind of quarter life slash midlife crisis here at the age of about 30, you know. Saying to him, I mean, I just, I'm stifled uh, in who I am. And, you know, he, he, he just carried on sharing with me that I was at that stage so involved in the academics of emotional intelligence and, and leadership. And flying around at that stage all, all over the Southern Africa predominantly doing these kind of leadership development webinars. And I was the guy, you know, and now the psychologist is here. So now there were these older people listening to what I had to say. But it was all just theoretical. And he said to me, you know, Mark, you don't practice what you preach. And he continued to just share with me, uh, and, and it was such a kind of epiphany moment for me in my life, that he would sit every morning, and Mark alluded to it, you know, sitting there, actually doing a practice on a daily basis uh, that was in, in some way kind of strengthening the muscles of emotional intelligence in, in, in whichever part of EQ needed developing. And I would wake up, have my breakfast, and go out into my day and just carry on with the facade, you know. And so this kind of inside-out transformation, I, I think I really just hadn't taken the time and the trouble to do that. 
said in a kind of more neuroscience-flavored way, I hadn't actually rewired the neural pathways in my brain. And so I, I had all the knowledge about emotional intelligence and leadership. And, you know, often I'll speak of, as those two things being synonymous or speak about them as if they're synonymous. But I just think of EQ as the kind of the, the muscles that drive effective reflexive responses, uh, you know, to, to leadership moments. And I really was just living out some of my historical emotional addictions and internal narratives, which were largely insecure. And so I started this, this journey of, of slowly and incrementally implementing techniques over time to, to start rewiring some of these, these old kind of narratives, neural pathways. Um, and, and it really led to a, a significant transformation for me. And so that's what has led to this vocational calling, because even, even my spirituality was defined by, by my sense of worthlessness in relation to a father I never knew. And that becomes quite complex in a kind of Christian theological framework. If you feel worthless to a father, that becomes very difficult when God is defined as a father, you know. And it would come out in these very interesting ways, like being very, very tight with two parts of the Trinity, but not the third part, you know. And then, of course, your theology crumbles when, you know, life falls apart a little bit and you're needing to just sit on the lap of the father and, and just be held you know, and so it, it's been very interesting for me, this vocational side of it comes because I think my, even my theology has needed a psychological transformation. And, and these things, I think, start linking for me very powerfully in my own life story. And now through the work that I'm doing is just through technology, trying to scale these very simple techniques so that people can transform their, their lives, their spirituality, their marriages, their work, their leadership by actually strengthening these muscles. And these techniques are available to us. And uh, yeah, I just think we can, we can cause such great transformation for people if, if they know how to implement these techniques. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about that methodology to grow self-awareness, um, Mark. You've worked to pioneer a specific and innovative method. You're using technology. It's available for a person or for groups. Can you just describe exactly what has been pioneered here? Thanks, Mark. I mean, it's a great question. And I think the answer probably lies in terms of um, thinking of it a little bit like physical fitness, like we would need to strengthen muscles in our body through exercises we do and different exercises strengthen different muscles. This domain of emotional intelligence can be neurologically thought of in a similar way. So what it involves is implementing certain specific techniques over extended periods of time and different techniques target different, if you like, neurological wirings. And, and that's how one develops it. Thank you. So Mark, you're also making this technology, this approach available almost primarily through organizations. And so this work of a person and their head and heart and body connection to be more self-aware has an organizational connection and you kind of have formed a strategy that doing it at the organizational level has a particular benefit. Uh, can you say more about that? Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think, you know, the, the closest link or the most direct link between emotional intelligence and organizational culture, which is, you know, the kind of corporate uh, behavioral norms, tendencies, if you like, is the word subconscious. 
you know, emotional intelligence is rooted in, in the individual's subconscious narratives, stories, wiring, etc. And so out of the, you know, that scripture, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think of that psychologically as out of the overflow of the subconscious, we, we behave. And the reason it's powerful to use technology to scale EQ through an organization is one of the biggest drivers for organizational behavior at the collective level is the organizational culture which I would define as the collective subconscious. And so out of the collective subconscious, the organization behaves. And so if you can shift the individual subconscious at scale, you start shifting the collective subconscious, which is the culture. And you know, we, we've, we've mentioned empathy a number of times in, in this conversation and as part of the title of the, the, you know, this podcast. And if you think about that, as you are scaling the development of empathy, both I can feel and experience empathy for another, or I can express that empathy, which would be in the domain of, of self-expression. Um, when you do that across an organization, suddenly you sit with a scenario where it actually starts becoming okay to actually share concern and care for others, even though you're a bank. <laughs> you know? um, and, and, and even though this is different to you know, what other organizations might do to share in a corporate context, you know? So, so yeah, that, that for me is that link. Um, you know, and, and quite apart from that, Mark, I think there's just a, an opportunity where you know, we spend so much time in our working lives with people we haven't chosen to spend our lives with, why not use it as a pay playground to develop these competencies that can help us so much in our, in our private lives? Yeah. It seems like the primary place for application to me, right? Because of what you just said, if this is where the majority of your waking hours in your adult years are spent and you would say, well, I'll be emotionally intelligent everywhere else, but here I'm just going to show up and in, you know, head down or be mean or, or, you know, be, unformed, uh, I don't see how you could cultivate the intelligence for elsewhere. Well, maybe just to respond to that, you know, every behavior that we take, every thought we have uh, makes it more likely that we'll have a similar uh, thought or behavior in future. So when, when you are exercising frustration, anger, resentment, unspoken truths, you know, between people, unboundaried relationships, when you're exercising that in your working life, hour after hour, day after day, all you're doing is you're making it more likely that you'll live that out in your private life uh, and vice versa. And so there's really a, a, a power in using technology like this in the corporate space. And that's quite apart from just the, the, the business case for it, which is the huge return on investment, obviously, for these behaviors being lived out in organizations. We'll return to this conversation with Mark Baker, CEO and Chief Psychologist of Migro in just a moment. So Mark Baker, I've heard of Mark Vincent's experience with Migro, but for the benefit of our listeners, how would you describe the essence and the offering that is Migro? Well, it's a little bit like an online gym for emotional intelligence. It works according to kind of 10 to 15 minute sessions online each, each day. You do it on any device with an internet connection. And it's got a, a video to learn about all of the kind of science uh, behind uh, emotional intelligence, neuroscience, positive psychology. And then you actually do a technique, which is kind of like the push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups, if you like, of, of, uh, of EQ. Uh, that technique gets scored by technique coaches, and you get a, a little algorithm with a growth score 
that can show you how you're doing. There's also assessments that you can do to get a sense of, you know, where your kind of uh, strengths and development areas are around the different competencies in this domain of EQ. And you go on a journey um, alongside other people, you can have some fun. Kind of a daily personal trainer for emotional intelligence, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly. We're talking today with Mark Baker of Migro. Mark, let's turn the focus of our conversation to the specifics of our audience, third-turn leaders. And I can imagine that it's easy for leaders to think, gosh, my people need this. I need my organization, those working here, to kind of grow and develop in this area. And yet, often our own leadership is in need as well. And certainly, as leaders start looking towards succession and um, developing the leaders that will follow them, there's some kind of, I think, unique uh, emotional needs that grow out of that or spring up out of that. So tell us how, when you hear all that and you think about our audience, how do you think about the dynamics of third-turn leadership as relates to emotional intelligence? Well, as you asked that question, just a moment I have to share with you happened for me um, a few years ago with my wife, Robin. We were newly married. We, we um, you know, I was bringing on all the romance, Kristen. You would have been, you know, so impressed. I'm sure. And uh, I'd, I'd set up this, uh, this little picnic in our lounge with candles and music going and all of that. And uh, I remember sitting down and kind of leaning in to get nice and close for this great date night we were going to have, you know. And she had this strange kind of look on her face. And, um, you know, we carried on talking for a while. And eventually she just said, shucks, um, Mark, sorry. Would you mind maybe just going to brush your teeth? <laughs> and uh, for me, it, it has been just a profound, a profoundly important lesson for leaders to consider that there are some parts of ourself and many parts of emotional intelligence that are a little bit like bad breath. We kind of need someone else to tell us. You know, with, with, we might be thinking we're doing the most wonderful thing, you know. Uh, an example, just in terms of leading a legacy, I was, I was quite shocked the other day to learn that in, in many toxic organizations, Oftentimes, people are promoted based on, and, and I can't believe this was an epiphany to me, based on who the, the, the favorite kind of in-group person is with the leader that gets to decide on who will get promoted. And what that means is sometimes it really is not the right person that's getting promoted. And so the question is, what kind of legacy is that leader leaving? If it's a succession plan, if it's just their favorite person that's becoming the successor, and, and sometimes what's needed is, is really to be shown where is the kind of bad breath in terms of the, the, the leadership that we're having. And without emotional intelligence, it's very difficult to even allow people to speak that into your life. You know, sometimes there's such a low sense of self-perception that I don't, want to, I don't want to hear feedback because what if it means that I'm not good enough? Well, that's your bad breath. And, and that's a really important thing at this stage of your career for you to see that, you know, may, maybe it's a deficit in, in self-expression where I've used self-expression a few too many times in this discussion, but let me, let me just use it where perhaps now you, you are about to head out, but you've got so much to give. You know, Mark, I think of you in your career, how much you've got to give. And if you, if you aren't vocal about the things that you could speak into young leaders' lives and the epiphanies those could give them, well, well that, that really is just, disallowing a legacy to be left, you know? And so, so I think there's a, a profound reality here, Kristen, where 
you know, developing emotional intelligence, especially later in one's life, can just so empower the kind of legacy that one could leave uh, at various levels. So are you saying there's kind of a unique opportunity later in our leadership that wasn't available as, as available to us earlier in our leadership, Mark? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's because of the stage of life that one gets to. I need to be careful with what I say here because I realize that you and Mark both have a few years on me, you know, um, but, but uh, I, I don't want to uh, speak as though those years are too many on me. I do want to be respectful. But, but I think there is a reality in which, you know, when, when you are in, in your younger years as a leader, which, which I am, you just haven't been around the bush enough times to, to learn certain lessons. And then when you've been around that bush a few more times, there's some important lessons that you need to teach the younger people like me. And then you get to a point where some of the younger perspectives are so valuable to consider in the kind of legacy that you're going to leave as an older leader. And the most prominent example of that right now, I think, exists in this hybrid work conversation that we've been thrust into internationally, where you've got older leaders that are kind of mandating a more rigid bureaucratic approach to, uh, let's, let's slap a label on it, come back to the office, right? Working hours, right? And that comes, that literally clashes with the value set of the younger generations that are saying, but we've got technologies that can let us work asynchronously. We want flexi time. We want freedom. We want a four-day work week. I mean, what is that even? And, and you know, this clash of values means that I think older leaders, if their emotional intelligence was a little more developed, would just have more ability to, to, to heed this reality and this shifting landscape of, of values to not write it off and, and uh, you know, just undermine some of the needs that younger generations have and to have the humility, quite frankly, to take on what some of the, uh, the younger generation are saying could be the, the future world of work. Yeah, really interesting, Mark. The word empathy has come up repeatedly in our conversation and I find myself wondering, and I look forward to your response on this, is that a, if not the key deficit in leadership these days. Certainly leaders need to bring people together for an organizational mission, you know, goal-directed outcomes. And yet there's this emerging and, you know, kind of dialed up need for empathy that we're hearing about today. Yeah. Is this the deficit area or how does empathy fit into this whole conversation about emotional intelligence and leadership? I think it's a great question, Kristen, and, and maybe the most get people to sit up and actually listen for the next five minutes response I can give is that I think sometimes the, pr the problem is that there's a little too much empathy. What I mean by that is that if we understand emotional intelligence as being emotional intelligences and a set of muscles, I think what the, the leadership development narrative has, has taught us in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, if you like, is, is let's, let's develop empathy, and surely an empathetic leader is the best kind of leader. And then what you typically get, typically get is people that are particularly strong in empathy will be so empathetic and so kind of servant-hearted that they may at times struggle with boundaries, struggle with allowing people to, to struggle and fail and learn. Um, and oftentimes we can, we can lift up something like, like empathy uh, so high that it, it, it almost undermines some of the other important aspects of leadership. For example, someone with high empathy that has low impulse control, which, which is a part of the decision-making kind of domain of emotional intelligence, 
might tend to step in and try and help someone that's struggling. But as soon as we do that, we create something of a codependent relationship with, with our followers where they just go, oh, it's okay if I, if I struggle too much, then you know, Mark will come along and step in and he'll, he'll sort it out. You know, that, that was a huge problem I saw with, with, with my leadership or, or building my grow is I would often fix uh, problems in, in, in logical flow in some of the, the kind of academic pieces we were writing. And it led to a scenario where my team in the, in the psych department would just say, oh, don't worry, Mark, Mark's got it. So they would kind of literally end up writing half thought through pieces. And I was running around overwhelmed and completely burnt out. I struggle with high empathy. And uh, it's because I have a deficit in terms of, you know, my self-expression. Uh, and, and so th these kind of muscles or these psychological aspects of EQ need to be taken in balance with empathy just being uh, kind of one part of it. We're about to ask our turning point questions, Mark, and there is so much here, so much talk about. I want to put one more question in here. Migro is really working off of an international platform and audience. So you've got clients that run from New Zealand to England and a lot of African countries in between and other places off the African continent. And um, I've been privileged to introduce Migro to a couple of U.S. companies now, and uh, we're looking to grow this kind of an offering that I think gives you a unique uh, point of view to see how, if at all, there are differences in countries and cultures when it comes to developing emotional intelligence. And we have um, a lot of maestro level leader cohort participants who run global companies. They've got you know offices in different countries and so forth. So what observations would you have about any differences across continents and cultures when it comes to growing and developing emotional intelligence? I mean, Mark, this is such a great question. You know, something that I think might be, I don't know if this is too close to home for me to share in the US, but I, I think it's a, a poignant example, is that there's a cultural dynamic in the US where I think behaviors in, in the domain of EQ are involving assertiveness, self-expression, a lot of people would say kind of extroversion, the, the extroverted personality, very gregarious, very relational, can often be, be looked at as, well, this is, this is what we need to reward in a, a, a workplace dynamic. And I think what, what's really important is to realize that there are so many aspects to what, what in that cultural context is seen as successful that, that is being missed. For example, there is a power in flexibility as one example, where uh, oftentimes what you have is people that are, that are not so dominant, that are not so assertive, that are quite flexible as leaders, can establish a, a cultural framework in a work environment that's far more collaborative. And that allows uh, more minds to, to be released, uh, more psychological safety, to be frank. But then too much flexibility, which is what we have in the African dynamic, where people want to be, they all want to be inclusive. And, oh, we must be very sensitive to people. Too much flexibility, too much empathy, <laughs> Kristen, uh, you know, means that there's not enough assertiveness. And actually, you know, in, in, a, in an African context, there's a huge ethical dilemma where, on the one hand, you've got people that are so relational in terms of their emotional intelligence. There's even a saying in, in, in a South African context, umuntu ngumuntu ngabantu which is the, the African phrase for what they call Ubuntu, which means that I am who I am because of who you all see me to be. It's a profound leadership 
construct, you know. The problem with that is if relationally I'm so linked with Kristen and she has a financial need in her family, I might put that financial need above my ethical mandate in the organization and literally make financial decisions to support Kristen that are completely unethical in terms of my employee status in this organization and what I'm responsible for. And so something that from a Western worldview we see as being radically unethical is, is actually just a, 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 a hugely relational strength. There's too much uh, uh, relational intimacy or, or re- relational drive in the emotional intelligence domain and too little assertiveness. I literally don't have the EQ muscle to assert myself and say, Kristen, I know you've got a need. I've also got a mandate and a responsibility in this organization. I, I don't know if that's given just a sample, Mark. I feel like I've only used the US and, and Africa completely oversimplifying everything. But I think it just gives a very um, a very interesting thing. Maybe maybe from the UK, traditionally, they're so distant relationally that maybe a little more empathy is needed. You know, we need to down the assertiveness a little bit, have a little more mm-hmm. empathy, uh, and we'll probably build better cultures in, in the space of UK. Yeah, there's an element of our grow that goes along with my grow, right? And so you have this, um, who am I in relationship to my community? And I can't universalize my experience to say, so this helped me and this is what helped me. Therefore, what helped me, you must also be helped by, uh, but rather to be open to their own pathways of learning and growing toward a whole. And that's why I really like the model that you've used. You've you've kind of mushed together several of these competency models, ways to map out where the intelligence is growing that is very holistic. So you can see where you are in relationship to where you want to be, how others see you, and therefore the individual's path along with what does this mean for us collectively as a leadership team or that kind of thing is just powerful stuff. And uh, I, I really appreciate the, the work that you have done to bring this to the world. Yes. And I will say I've heard wonderful things about Mark's experience, Mark V. Vincent's experience with my grow, Mark Baker. And that and our conversation today have me really curious to take my assessment and maybe integrate this into my daily practices. I'm more, even more intrigued based on our conversation. So thank you. I want to turn us now to our turning point questions, which is um, something we like to ask all of our guests. We have three of them, Mark Baker. As we wrap up, the first is, is there any other interest or role you wish you pursued other than psychology? I think I would have loved to study medicine first specifically physiology. I think the way our bodies work and the creatures that we are is just fundamentally mind-blowing. So I'm kind of doing it in retrospect, you know, just having a specific interest in the neuroscience um, and kind of biochemistry side of psychology. But I, I do, if I could do anything else, I think I would have liked to have done that. We're also curious, Mark, uh, you focus so much on leadership and been developing yours. What's a leadership lesson that you wish you had understood earlier in life? Clear as day to me that it is this. It, it doesn't matter how much you know about these things. It matters what you actually do. And that for me has just been, that was a big turning point in my life because I'm so passionate about the academic side of leadership and emotional intelligence and organizational culture. And yet my, I had such bad breath. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe you were going to say the lesson was to brush your teeth more often, but yeah, psychologically, <laughs> I hear that. I hear that in a broader sense. 
Mark Baker, what's a current book you're reading and why did you choose it? I'm actually reading uh, Mark Vincent's uh, memoir hmm. from, from him and his, his first wife. And I'm reading that because I'm completely intrigued by the story of this incredible man that I've recently had the privilege of meeting, who I'm hoping is just the beginning of the journey that I, that I get to have with him. And I'm learning many others have had the privilege of having. And in case Mark feels a discomfort with that, uh, I can share that I've been reading Harry Potter uh, over the festive season. I had never read it. And I wanted to know what uh, Harry Potter was all about. So I read it just to completely get my mind out of work. Yeah, and it, it's been actually an amazing and enthralling journey. I recommend it, especially if you're over 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like when my children were reading Harry Potter, I was having more fun and was more eager for the next volume than they were. And they were enthralled, you know, it was quite the, quite the journey. Well, Mark, we, we want to thank you and the whole team at MyGrow for what you've created and for the difference you're making for the world in which our grandchildren's grandchildren will live. And we do hope that it is more aware of what it means to be in a community and to be more aware of self and relationship to others. You, our listeners, can learn more about MyGro at MyGro.me. So if you go to MyGro.com, you won't find them. You'll want to go to MyGro.me. We'll include this link and a number of other resources, uh, including some of the wonderful videos that Migros produced in our podcast notes. You've been listening to the Third Turn Podcast. It's a production of Design Group International. I am Mark L. Vincent, joined by my co-host and fellow Maestro Level Leader Cohort Facilitator, Kristen Evenson. She's a coach trained in the neuroscience of change and a great friend. Josh Brinkman engineers our sound. Jennifer Miller is our producer. We invite your subscription to this podcast and appreciate your sharing with other leaders who, like us, care about future value, succession, and legacy, and leaving our organizations and world a better place for those that follow. Our episodes are on most podcast services, as well as the website, thirdturnpodcast.com. Our next podcast episode serves up in two weeks. Farewell for now. This is for our grandchildren's grandchildren.